0: Podcast Today we have one of our more informative episodes regarding misconceptions and acute kidney injury. And joining us is Dr. Edward Medeiros. Uh, he's a uni- University of New England College of Osteopathic Medicine class of 2015 graduate. Uh, he went to internal medicine residency at Kent Hospital and finished his fellowship in nephrology at Brown University. He now works as a nephrology specialist at Roger Williams Medical Center, Rhode Island Hospital, and the Miriam. He also has various clinics in Rhode Island for which he also sees patients. And so we're very excited to have him on today. Welcome.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me. Very Uh, excited. Thanks for
0: joining us. Uh, So before we can drive a Cadillac, we usually have our first car, which is like a Honda Civic. And so the Honda Civics of Nephrology is acute kidney injury, I feel like. Yeah, or Toyota Camry. We're okay with that too. I mean, I'm not not biased (laughs) one way or the other. Uh, So if you could give us a quick introduction about acute kidney injury. Um, and kind of some of the misconceptions you see um, from a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, of course. So, you know, I think one of the biggest things is I'm very biased in acute kidney injury because you're not calling me for every single AKI that walks into the hospital. Mm -hmm. We're busy, but we can't be that busy, right? (laughs) So a lot of the times, this is what we see, and a lot of the times I'm going to see the vast majority of cases are going to be ATN. Mm -hmm. Just because you've tried something, it didn't work, and now you're calling, asking for help, that usually means it's ATN, which not like I'm gonna make it better either mm-hmm. um, you know ATM is very supportive which which we can get into. And uh, ATM
0: um, stands for acute tubular necrosis just to exactly define it. Yep.
1: Um, but I think one of the biggest things that I like to point out is um, because a lot of times we field those calls right um, you might be the intern or the resident taking care of somebody someone comes in with with acute kidney injury and and you need some help and you give us a call and we're going to ask, you know, certain questions, figure out what's going on, generate, um, you know, a differential in our head. And we're very nice. So, we, we, <laughs> we tend, you know, nephrologists, uh, by default, you know, we, we don't yell or anything like that. So <laughs> it, don't be afraid that. to call us. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are certain things that help that we're looking for. So mm-hmm. I think one of the, the biggest things um, that we'll talk about is this, this stuff about FENA and F.E. Urea, okay? When you're in medical school, and you're learning about AKI. I feel like BUN, creatinine ratio is everything. Right? <laughs> we're we're not ready for Fina yet. No. So like twenty, you know, greater than twenty to one, we're thinking pre-renal etiologies. Less than twenty to one, we're thinking intrinsic etiologies, mm-hmm. and that's all well and good. And you know that stuff works. I'll tell you as a nephrologist, I hardly ever look at it. Mm-hmm. But I I saw a guy today with a BUN of 144 and a creatinine of three. You know, he was over diuresis, and you know everything else went with that. So it does help sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think. As we move on in our training, then we move on to FENA, right? Fractional excretion of, of sodium. Or if you're on diuretics, and maybe as you're a second-year resident, you'll know <laughs> a little bit more. We talk about fractional excretion of urea. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing with that is that those studies were only validated in oliguric patients. And a lot of people don't remember or don't realize that. Mm. Um, so they don't really translate if patients are non-oliguric. But even still, I think there's a, a use for ethuria and phena. Um, they kind of tell me how the, how the tubules are functioning, mm-hmm. and it helps me make decisions. So, you know, I want to talk about that. But I think, you know, coming in, acute kidney injury, it's, it's the same stuff that we talk about in medical school and in residency. We try to keep it very simple. So, first of all, history is extremely important, mm-hmm. okay? Okay. Uh, it matters a lot to me if someone's coming in with all these volume depleting symptoms, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, um, you know pneumonia, low blood pressures, dizziness, like all of that really helps just as much as some of these laboratory values and mm-hmm. figure out what's going on. Um, so you know a good history when you're presenting is very, very important. When we move on to laboratory and everything, we're still looking at the same three things. AKI is usually pre-renal intrinsic renal or post renal. There's really no fourth option, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the history can help you figure out what's going on. If, if they're pre renal, I can usually figure that out based on the history, some of the vitals. And yeah, we'll get to some of the labs and stuff like that. But you know, I, I can't just use a BUN cratin ratio or a FINA or something like that just to tell me, oh, it has to be this. You got to put the whole picture together. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so when someone's calling and asking for a consult, you know, I, I want some history. Like what's going on? Tell me, tell me how they got to this point. Usually the patient's been in the hospital for a couple of days or so. Um, so when we differentiate the things that we look at, like I said, B1 ratio, FENA. This FENA stuff, it's the fractional excretion of sodium. So essentially, let's think of it this way: if your volume down, your volume depleted, then It wasn't your kidneys' fault that you have AKI. It was something that made you volume depleted, and your kidneys are trying to retain all of the salt and water in your body as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're volume down. So your renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system is jacked up, everything's activated, and you just want to hold on to any little thing that gets filtered through your glomerulus. You want to pull it back into your body. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the way I like to teach it and think of it is, okay, so if you were sodium and you got filtered because you know, that is part of your GFR, sodium gets filtered, um, and someone is in septic shock, hemorrhagic shock, um, they have gastrointestinal illness, you're going to want to hold on to that sodium. So let's, before we get into like the, the specifics of what the FINA represents, how to calculate it, just think of it this way. What should you be doing with that sodium that's being filtered? Well, you want to hold it, right? You want to bring it back through the tubules, reabsorb it into your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So your fractional excretion of sodium or the amount of sodium that's actually ending up in your urine should be very low. Mm-hmm. And that was the premise for why we said phena, fractional excretion of sodium less than one is consistent with pre-renal azotemia with a pre-renal acute kidney injury. And that makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. right? Because your kidneys are doing their job. It's just something else that's causing the problem. The issue became that there are things that cause pre-renal AKI that if they're there for long enough, you'll get ischemia to the kidneys and you'll get tubular necrosis, Mm -hmm. right? Any pre-renal state, if you're in that state for long enough will cause ATN. Now, by definition, you have an intrinsic problem, Mm -hmm. right? So your FINA could be less than one because you presented in septic shock, hemorrhagic shock, what have you, but if you were in that for long enough, you could have done some kidney damage that caused tubular necrosis, so now you have ATN the really more important way to figure that out is you treat that volume status problem. If the crannin gets better, then it was pre-renal. Mm-hmm. If the crannin doesn't get better and you've resuscitated or if you're overloaded, you've diuresed, then it has to be an intrinsic problem. It mm-hmm. has to be ATN at that point. So I think one of the big misconceptions that I see is I very often will get a call and it could be from anybody in any stage. I have, I have hospitalists that call me the same thing. Mm-hmm like you know i i ordered urine lights this person came in five days ago they had a gastrointestinal illness you know poor po intake blood pressure was 80 we gave them fluids the blood pressure got better but the cranin keeps rising and the phenol was low so they have pre-renal AKI. i'm gonna keep giving fluids and today's hospital day three or five mm-hmm. you know that's a huge misconception because you know They've proven with the test of time that this patient does not have a pre-renal AKI, right? Mm -hmm. You resuscitated and it didn't get better. More importantly than FINA, that is what has to improve AKI.
0: If it's a true pre-renal AKI and you give volume resuscitation... To say that they're adequately resuscitated is just based off like their clinical symptoms, like they don't look dehydrated, they look like they're euvolemic, and if they see the creatinine continue to rise, then you could say it's ATN, right? It's not like you give a certain amount of fluid or you wait a certain amount of time, it's really just your assessment.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we have sepsis protocol, right, mm-hmm. with surviving sepsis, and you have to get a certain amount of fluid in order to have goal-directed care. Mm-hmm. When, when you're not technically in septic shock or, you know, not necessarily meeting sepsis criteria, mm-hmm. and we resuscitate somebody, if your blood pressure improves, if you're no longer tachycardic, mm-hmm. right, if, if all of these clinical signs are better, then you could say someone's probably adequately, you know, resuscitated. Right. And if that doesn't improve your renal function, then yes, I would say, okay, well, it wasn't a prerenal AKI. Mm-hmm. Maybe it started that way, but by now we've moved on and we have tubular necrosis, right. intrinsic, you know, kidney injury. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, the thing is, you might think, well, why does that matter? Hmm. The I think something which is another kind, com- you know, common misconception in in um, AKI is that. Nephrologists, you know, we're not like that much smarter than anybody else. We're just like everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. But we have this crystal ball where we've seen a lot of ATN, mm-hmm. and we know how people, uh, you know, transition from their having ATN. Then they get overloaded from too much resuscitation, and now you're dialyzing for volume overload, right? A couple days in. So when I see somebody with acute tubular necrosis, my thought is number one, I have to treat their volume status, which you know I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but the other thing is i i know that atn is supportive in its management so my job is to make sure that i don't do anything that gives this person an indication for dialysis two three four days from now Mm. so in this patient that we're talking about if you're getting fluids but because your FENA is low but you really don't seem that you're still volume down you know we're actually going to cause problems because Mm -hmm. If you really have bad ATN, you're just going to third space fluid. Eventually, that'll cause respiratory failure. And eventually, we might have to dialyze for volume overload. Whereas if we kind of just let nature take its course, if you will, for a few more days, and we didn't give extra fluid, ATN should get better. You know, maybe it's going to happen hospital day five, hospital day seven. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's like a five-day thing. Um, So my job is to not let that happen. I don't want an indication for dialysis. (laughs) Right. You know? Um, so that's a I think that's a big thing you can't just look at the FENA and say okay this is Mm pre-renal therefore we will do this if if the test of time says no the cranin didn't get better and you've done your best effort then no it you know it's probably time to rethink your diagnosis maybe it's ATN Mm -hmm.
0: okay that makes a lot of sense and I like how you broke up kind of your approach um, you know a lot of times we especially when we're in our training programs forget the history and physical assessment part of things and really start looking at like lab and objective values to help guide our management and so it's always good to get you know a reminder that sometimes the most important almost always the most important piece of objective information that you can get is from the history and the physical assessment um and so that's that's really great and then one other thing that uh, i think a lot of people um you know get confused about or wish they knew more about is what are some of the steps that they can take before, you know, if they've determined this is pre versus an ATN picture, what are some things that they can do before, you know, consulting the nephrologist to make sure that they have everything that the specialist needs to go ahead and do their management?
1: You know what, I think a urinalysis is so cheap, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I think we underestimate this is a great screening test for glomerular nephritis. Right. Um, A urinalysis will give you a lot of things. It's going to give you specific gravity to tell you how concentrated the urine is. It's going to tell you whether or not um, there's protein in the urine. Not quantitatively, but qualitatively. At least it's something. It, It will dip for protein. It only dips for albumin. And albumin is glomerular protein. So if you have a urinalysis that does not have protein and does not have blood, You've ruled out glomerular nephritis, mm-hmm. and how cheap is a urinalysis, right? So everybody needs a urinalysis, and sometimes mm-hmm. we forget about these. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, everybody with blood and protein does not have GN, right? right? There are other things. Sometimes it's a Foley sample. If you have bad enough AKI, then you're going to spill some protein. And if the specific gravity is very high, if the urine is very concentrated, mm-hmm. it's going to be falsely positive for protein on the dipstick. Those people need a protein-cranin ratio. Right. We don't have to do all those things for run of the mill AKI. But the very basic should be is there a urinalysis? You know, are there I, I think on the resident level there should always be urine lights. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's still good to figure out what was going on initially. You know, I don't always use urine lights because again we've already talked about how FINA is not always reliable. Yeah. But I still think it's important mm-hmm. in in the learning and in the process. Um, and the other thing is, have we ruled out obstruction, even if we don't think say, about obstruction? The middle
0: child of AKI is the yeah.
1: obstruction, the one that's forgotten. No <laughs> one wants to talk about it, right? And <laughs> yeah. um, You know, you could have this CT abdomen pelvis with contrast, which, mm-hmm. oh, contrast. <laughs> you know, let's not go there. Um, but, you know, you could have the CT abdomen pelvis hospital day one that shows no hydronephrosis. It doesn't mean we've ruled out obstruction. Mm-hmm people take a lot of um, anticholinergic medicines Mm -hmm. antihistamines a lot of our patients are diabetics they have autonomic dysfunction and the bladder is controlled by autonomics Mm -hmm. right so a lot of people can get urinary retention without causing hydronephrosis I had an excellent attending as a fellow who Would make me look at all of my renal ultrasounds that we ordered mm-hmm. because even though there was no hydronephrosis on the reed, we would also get a bladder with it. Mm-hmm. If the bladder is retaining a lot of urine, then it's very likely that you know post renal AKI is at play, mm. you know. And I'm not saying put Foley's in everyone, I understand the Foley police, like, I, I agree, <laughs> like, we have to decrease hospital induced infections, like, this is very important, of course. Um, but it's something to think about mm-hmm. because it's much easier to straight cat somebody put somebody on tampsulosin mm-hmm. you know offload the bladder than it is to put somebody on dialysis right that's much more invasive definitely yeah, and I so um you know the basics are still a good history with vitals right um a urinalysis some urine electrolytes with urine creatinine, so we can calculate mm-hmm. the fena and also ruling out obstruction and if it's been a few days then it's always good to grab a post-void residual yeah um you don't have to keep ordering you know imaging studies mm-hmm. a post-void residual is great if someone has a foley then you know usually that's that's ruled out not 100 percent of the time but i think that's the those are the basics yeah and if like i said we're very nice so <laughs> if, if you yeah. come with all of that information you know we'll, we'll be grateful we'll we'll help out and I think you know we just have a bias we see a lot of ATN and yeah. we feel very comfortable with mm-hmm. with evaluating AKI and sometimes we don't know the exact ideology
0: I think uh, from the
1: resident perspective, too, a lot of times,
0: you know, what we look at is urine output, um, and that can help us kind of key into that obstructive, uh, you know, clinical picture, and a lot of times, you know, we'll look at our EMR system and be like, all right, where's the ins and outs, and is it accurately recorded, but something that's very easy to do is just ask the patient themselves, are they urinating? A lot of times, they'll tell you if they are or aren't, um, and that's sometimes way easier than trying to figure out, all right, did they urinate this much, like, Mm -hmm. trying to track down the nurse that was with them the day before. For and all this other stuff like a lot of times just going back to the patient and asking them is a uh, is, uh, key helpful information um, and then another piece of, I think, AKI that we always need to keep an eye on or, you know, keep our minds on are the medications that can that impact, you know, your kidney function and looking at the medication list. Because, you know, in this country, in many hospitals, we have polypharmacy. We yeah. have all these issues where people are on a ton of different meds uh, over the counter or prescribed. Um, and so kind of looking at that medication list, what are some of the one, you know, medications that you think of like, all right, I need to either pause this medication, see if this helps the renal function. or or, uh, you know stop it all together and just have them not take this medication at all
1: so NSAIDs man NSAIDs, NSAIDs. <laughs> we don't ask enough about NSAIDs of course we really yeah. don't we forget um, I sometimes forget NSAIDs are everywhere They're <laughs> out, and I, you know I'm biased I'm a nephrologist we obviously don't like NSAIDs yeah we, you know I don't recommend anyone to take them usually if, if you have a normal creatinine you have stones like okay what's well, one thing mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think NSAIDs and it's all hemodynamic mm-hmm. so this another misconception i get sometimes is i'll hear um sometimes from non-clinical people but sometimes from clinicians too that that ace inhibitors and arbs are nephrotoxic right mm-hmm. and and we've talked about this a lot when we do morning reports here and things like that um, there's really good evidence that ace inhibitors and angiotensin II receptor blockers delay the progression of ckd they offload the kidney But if you want to think about that physiologically how does that happen so we know that ace inhibitors and arbs they dilate the efferent arterial Mm -hmm. whatever goes through the efferent arterial will lower your gfr it has to it's all about pressure you're opening up the pipe that's lowering the pressure in the bypass valve if you will Mm -hmm. right the efferent arterial is blood that's going to be taken away from the glomerulus any blood that doesn't go through the glomerulus cannot be part of your gfr Any blood that goes to your GLOM is, by definition, part of your GFR. Mm -hmm. So the problem is in diabetics, in in hypertensive patients, and patients with um, adaptive secondary FSGS, um, we we have a problem with hyperfiltration. We're Mm -hmm. overloading our nephrons with too much pressure, and over time they get leaky because they're tired, if you will. Right. So we give ACE inhibitors ARBs to open up the efferent arterial to offload those kidneys. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm saying, I will trade you a few points in your GFR today to delay the progression of CKD over years. Mm -hmm. The problem is that acutely they do lower the GFR a little bit, but they're not nephrotoxic. Mm -hmm. They're doing that in a protective manner. Now, if you take an ACE inhibitor ARB and you get sick from, you know, some kind of volume depleting Mm -hmm. illness, yeah, they'll work against you. And the same can be said to bring it back about NSAIDs, mm-hmm. right? So NSAIDs constrict the afferent arterial. You're going right. to decrease your renal blood flow. Now you're taking ACE or ARB. It's going to decrease your glomerular blood flow too because mm. you're moving more towards um, the efferent arterial. So ACEs and ARBs are not nephrotoxic, but they get you in trouble yeah. if taken, you know, when your volume depleted, if taken with NSAIDs. So I think we really need to screen for NSAIDs. And a lot of patients don't know about all of them. You know, I ask about all of them. I have a spiel. I go on. Every one that I can name, I say. (laughs) And, you know, you'd be surprised. Sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, naproxen. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) After saying I only take Tylenol for like 20 minutes. (laughs) So I think that's a big thing. And um, just recognizing that it doesn't mean that you can't take an ACE or ARB. Again, like hold for AKI. I tell a lot of my patients to hold on sick days, if you will. Like I have like a sick day protocol which i think we underutilize um because i think if you understand the physiology you understand how to use them best and how to um how you can get into trouble so those are big medicines you know the other ones are the usual suspects right antibiotics if you're on for a long enough time can cause interstitial kidney damage interstitial, interstitial nephritis so we think about those um And then, obviously, any kind of medicine that's going to predispose you to to be obstructed, Mm -hmm. right? Anticholinergics, antihistamines, stuff like that. Uh, I mean, those are the big ones that I'm always looking for.
0: Right. That's good to know. And I think uh, a lot of times we forget to check that med list to see what they're on because there is definitely impacts uh, from the medications that patients receive on, you know, the kidneys, especially the kidneys given their function in the body. Um, You know, with our last remaining few minutes, I wanted to kind of touch on... um, you know, the difference between AKI and CKD. A lot of times we have a patient that comes in and we might not know their baseline creatinine. They come in with an elevated creatinine. Is there a good or easy way to figure out a difference between the AKI and CKD? Or, you know, is it more of a test of time? You have them come back or follow up as an outpatient, recheck their labs and see if they have improved or not.
1: Yeah, so I think it's super important. And we talk about that a lot when we're on rounds Mm -hmm. and when we're talking... A lot of times we'll get patients that come in with a really high creatinine, we have no idea what's going on. Is this acute? Mm-hmm. Is it chronic? If you know, we don't have past records, maybe it's the middle of the night. There are definitely things you can do that will tip you off to letting you know, okay, this is acute or at least there's some chronicity. And they're really simple things. Mm-hmm. So the way I think of it is, well, what else do we manage as nephrologists, okay? So number one, you always get a renal ultrasound. Mm-hmm. It's very simple, if you have small kidneys that are you know echogenic it will say on the report which means they're scarred Mm -hmm. um, then those are probably chronic kidney changes Okay. if you have very large kidneys then that's usually an acute process although in diabetes the first thing you can do because you hyperfilter is the kidneys can swell a little bit Mm -hmm. but the other stuff has to do with what we manage we manage anemia Mm -hmm. if patients are anemic especially if they're iron replete iron stores are good and you're still anemic, you know, that could be related to EPO deficiency, erythropoietin, which happens when your GFR drops, mm-hmm. especially when your GFR is under 30. Other things we manage, we manage secondary hyperparathyroidism, mm-hmm. right? More so in advanced CKD. Very easy to just check uh, intact parathyroid hormone, a calcium and a phosphorus. If those are abnormal, meaning the parathyroid hormone is elevated, mm-hmm. phosphorus elevated, calcium can be plus minus. But if those parameters are looking like you know they're abnormal, this is probably a chronic process. So that's my workup. Yeah. And then you can get labs, speak to a primary care provider, um, get some old records and stuff like that in the morning or you know within a couple days. Yeah. But these are some tips to figure out if this is acute or chronic. That might save somebody a biopsy. Mm-hmm. It might change your management, whether or not you give someone immunosuppression. Mm-hmm. So these things really matter. And they're not hard to get, they're pretty cheap tests.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's very helpful and uh, I think a lot of people find that helpful in helping to kind of assess the patient and, and alter their management in some ways. Um, so we like to end some of our episodes with just opening up the floor. If you have any general thoughts or words of wisdom that you want to share, whether it's nephrology, internal medicine, or whatever, the um, floor is yours. <laughs> nice. You know, <laughs> a lot of
1: pressure. I feel like I'm supposed to do a PSA for nephrology <laughs> because um, we, we need help. Um, yeah. No, you know, so I'll say about nephrology, I, I think um, there's there aren't too many people who see kind of what we do on a day-to-day basis. We're we're driving all over the, we hustle a little bit, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know. The grind is real. The grind is real. (laughs) I'm going in in a given day, I'll be at a hospital. I'll be at uh, one or two dialysis units. I'll be in my office. Um, We go all over the place. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really nice balance of, you know, inpatient, outpatient. We have very high acuity. Our patients are really sick. You Mm -hmm. see them, they get readmitted a lot. but at the same time, we have really good continuity. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I picked it. Um, I, I was thinking for a long time about doing, you know, outpatient primary care, uh, general medicine, and I, I missed the acuity of the hospital. I really enjoyed my time in residency um, with acute patients. But you know, I also liked continuity too and developing relationships with patients. And you know, we kind of have all that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, something should be said for there's patients that we'll see in the hospital and our patients are kind of going all over they'll bounce back uh, from nursing homes to hospital sometimes or maybe even just home and i've had more than a few patients tell us myself partners in my group other nephrologists that uh they feel they feel great seeing the familiar face like yeah. there's that person that i see in the office at the dialysis unit and in the hospital mm-hmm. it, it's really um it's really you know reassuring that i, I picked the right thing i, I think um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of open jobs in nephrology yeah. a lot of opportunity and it's it's not bad if if you like some of those things so uh, think about it. You don't, you don't have to, but, you know, <laughs> we're, we're always hiring.
0: I think it's it, No, it's a great thing. Uh,
1: for people, you know, we forget
0: from the provider's standpoint how scary and unknown being in the hospital can be. And I uh, know for a fact that when people feel or see a familiar face or a familiar person, they feel comforted by that. So 100% I agree uh, with that. And, uh, yeah, nephrology seems very enticing. I feel like a lot of people should get into it. Um, But with that being said, thank you for joining us and uh, dropping a knowledge bomb on us. That was great. Uh, For our listeners, uh, we just want to wrap up. Of course, we have the ACP pod at gmail.com email if you want to send in any suggestions for topics or uh, guests that you'd like to hear on the show. Uh, We'd love to have you back at some point to talk about another topic or maybe just more spiel on why more people should get into nephrology. Sure. Um, So we'll definitely have you back. So thank you very much, and uh, we appreciate you all listening. Thanks for having me. Of course. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinion made on the podcast.